Well, this week's going to be Thanksgiving. It's not corny, but I say I'm thankful that God loves me. I got a lot of stuff I'm thankful for. I really do. I have a lot of stuff I'm thankful for. But I was listening to that last song, Oh, Come to the Altar, and I, I heard that opening phrase, Are you hurting and broken within? Are we hurting and broken within? Yes. Yeah, I am. Sometimes we think of church as this safe place where you go and it's a bunch of goody two-shoes and people that are holier than thou and they must have their lives together. That's why they go on Sundays. <clears throat> but in reality, we're all hurting and broken people. We argue and fight on the way to church. And then you get out of your car and you put your fake plastic smile on and we come inside and we smile at everybody and we act like everything's okay, right? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. But it's true. A lot of us do. I like, uh, I like one, one time I asked somebody, how you doing? And they said, you want the truth? And I said, yeah, I do. And now I try to be truthful with people. When people ask me how I'm doing, I, this is how I'm doing. <laughs> right? How much time you got? <laughs> Nothing happens in God's world by accident, right? right. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing happens in God's world without his decree. <clears throat> Did you know that? Well, Chris, what about Job? Satan asked God for permission to torment Job. Nothing happens in this world without God's decree. Everything serves a purpose. Nothing happens in this world without a purpose. Well, there's some negative stuff happening in the world, Chris. I know. There's some weird stuff happening in the world. And we can't put new wine into old wineskins, can we? COVID changed the face of the church. Division in our countries changed the face of the people. It's a very conflicted world that we live in today, as Americans and as believers. And so I've been getting ready to close the Joseph series. I know, I'm depressed, I'm sad. I promised you all, I told you all that I might do this. Because I know you don't want me to spend the next six months in January, in February, in March, in April closing this up. I'll tell you why. Because I'm praying for 2023, and 2023, as 2022 did, is going to be a new year, a new season. And we have spent the last year canvassing the beginning of our hope, our promise, our future, Right? And we started in, I started with Abraham. I started with, uh, God started by offering a promise to Abraham. Back in Genesis chapter 12. 
all the way back. And we've worked our way all the way to chapter 41. Chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Well, this week's Thanksgiving. Next week we got a guest speaker. And then in December I'm going to talk about Jesus all month. So today we're going to put eight chapters into one day. And when you looked at your notes today, you said there's nothing for me to fill in. That is correct. Because I had to use the space to put a bunch of scriptures so that I could go through eight chapters very quickly. I did leave a space on the back for you to write notes. I even titled it Notes. This was the easiest bulletin I ever put together. However, the hardest to cram all the information into 25, 30 minutes. And I said, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? But I did it. And I'm going to backlog you, lead you in, close you out, and send you off onto your Thanksgiving vacations and your time away and your time with family and whatever you're going to do this week. And some of us are going to work and some of us are going to travel and there's a lot going on. It's an exciting week. And we have a lot to be thankful for. I am thankful for all of you. I am thankful when I walk in and you show up every Sunday because I'm like, okay, I must be doing something right. I hope, God, you're, you're not letting me down. You're not letting them down. You're building the church. We're just going to keep showing up in the natural and let God do the? There you go. All right. I got my, my crowd is getting my things. So God would start by offering this promise to Abraham. This is a total recap. He would leave his family and father. You remember this? He would leave the land of Ur. He would leave his father's land. He would travel a considerable amount of distance to an unknown, uh, to an unknown land. Abraham would make many mistakes. He would take God's promise into his own hand. He would lie twice. And then later, out of obedience and faith, he would prepare to offer his own son as God had asked him. To what many believe is the same hill where Christ later would be crucified. And Isaac carried the wood just as Jesus carried the cross to the mountain. Moving on from there, and tell me that's not an image of what God would later do with his own son at the same mountain. His son Isaac would carry that promise, yes? Abraham would pass this promise on. This is recap of one year. He too would be flawed. And through the air of parental favoritism, as I put it, he would cause his sons of promise to quarrel. And eventually he would tear his family apart and send his son away to a faraway land. Abraham sent the messenger to bring back a wife from the father's land, Isaac, uh, Jacob would travel to the land and never see his mother again. His son Jacob would carry that promise. He too was flawed. And one step further, through marital and parental favoritism, would cause similar strife in the life of his 12 sons. See an ongoing theme here? You think these guys were hurting and broken within, or did they walk on water? Okay. 
Well, they're human like you and me and Mike and Skip and Javier and Sarah and Bill and Chris and Christian Angel. Got a list of broken and flawed people, right? But Chris, you can't say that about me. I'm sorry I offended you. So, we close our series with the life of Joseph. Joseph, who I promised you all year, would be the first image of the coming Savior, Jesus. That's what Joseph's purpose was. Because nothing happens by God's world by accident. Nothing happens without his decree. And nothing happens without his purpose behind it. Why would you say that about the life of Joseph? Well, we're going to recap his life. Joseph was a man of integrity and honor. Much different from all of his forefathers. He didn't lie. And he got done dirty. Do you remember when his father sent him to go and take a report about what the other brothers were doing? And he came back and it was not a good report. And his brothers did what? They hated him for it. They plotted to kill him. You see marital and parental favoritism happening amongst the siblings here? Let's kill him. Dad likes him the best anyways. Let's get rid of him. You're the firstborn. Lead the charge. But Reuben, who'd already screwed up, wanted to, to, to make it right and, and help his brother, but it was too late. So what happened to Joseph, this man of integrity and honor? He got sold to some Ishmaelites. Ishmaelites from the tribe of Ishmael. Go all the way back to Abraham. Now, what did the Ishmaelites do? They sold him to Egypt, to Potiphar. So here he was, stripped of his, his fine lo, uh, robe and linen, stripped of being father's favorite. After what? After having a dream, two dreams. Hey, I'm gonna, there was this dream and you guys were all bowing to me. It was pretty cool. Hey, I had this other dream and this one uh, stock grew and all the other stocks leaned towards it. Are you saying you're gonna rule over us? And his father chastised him for it. Well, all of a sudden after he has these dreams of what God wants to do with his life, what happens to him? He's sold. Nothing happens by accident. Nothing happens without God's decree. Nothing happens without purpose. So now Joseph's been sold. He ends up in the house of Potiphar. Potiphar realizes this Joseph is a special kind of guy. You ever seen what happens when the favor, grace, mercy, and the Holy Spirit's just flowing out of you? People see you as a special kind of person. Doesn't matter where you go or what you do. So Joseph ends up in the house of Potiphar and he ends up taking care of everything. He's in charge of all of Potiphar's house, who's a high government official with Pharaoh. Then what happens? The wife comes on to him. And Joseph, a man of integrity, threw all that out the window and he was with her. Wrong. Wrong. He said to, pa he said to the wife, God has done everything for me and God has blessed me and shown me great favor and God has put me in charge of everything of my master's house. Everything except you. And I won't do that. 
And she chased after him day after day. And six months later, he made a bad decision and was with her. Nope, wrong. Six months later, he was still saying no. Until she set him up, grabbed his coat, ripped the piece of his garment off, whatever. And then she accused him. And what did Potiphar do? He believed his wife. So Joseph ends up in jail. Joseph was 17 years old when he was sold to Potiphar. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh and told Pharaoh of his two dreams. 13 years. Almost half of the whole life he's ever lived. And now what happened last week in our story, I told you, Pharaoh raised him up to power and he became the power. He said, you're over everything except me. So now he's the most powerful man in Egypt. And I said, Pharaoh took his signet ring off his old signer, right? No. Pharaoh took the ring off his own hand and put it onto Joseph and gave Joseph his power. So now Joseph was the most powerful man in Egypt. Nothing happens in God's world by accident. Nothing happens without God's decree. Nothing happens without God's purpose. So moving on, back into our story. I've caught you up. So what, what, what happens now? What, what takes place in the life of Joseph? You call Joseph the first image of a savior. Well, here's what's about to happen. Pharaoh's had two dreams. The two dreams, basically, as, as he told them to Pharaoh, were there's going to be seven years of great. And then seven years of so bad, you're going to forget there was ever a great. You're going to forget there was ever any good times. It's going to be that bad. And so Pharaoh put him in charge of everything. With his wisdom, his integrity, and his honor. Save up something. Somebody needs to take care of this. Somebody needs to orchestrate a plan so that we can survive this. Because what was going to happen? People around the world were going to what? Starve and die. God had purpose in the life of Joseph when he allowed those things to happen in Joseph's life so that Joseph would end up in Egypt at the highest place of power so that at just the right time, his people who he made a promise to, starting with Abraham, would have somewhere to go and be saved. And he would save his people. So, Genesis 42, 1 and 2. When Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, now Jacob is who? Joseph's father. Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt. Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there that we may what? And not what? Okay. Do you know what you are in your sin without Christ? Dead. You're dead. In sin without Christ. Come to Christ so that you can live and not die. You see that? What happened when they went to Egypt? Now we're going to start 
slamming through stuff. What happened when they went to Egypt? Well, I'll tell you what happened. Joseph would be quick to test his brothers because you remember he had a son, he named him Manasseh. Look at what God's done. And Ephraim. So I forget the toils of my past and my father. But did he really forget? As soon as he saw them, he knew who they were. We don't forget, do we? We don't forget our pain. We don't forget our wrongs. We don't forget them. We forgive them, but we don't forget. It's okay to forgive somebody. It doesn't mean you have to trust them ever again. Interesting. You think Jacob trusted his brothers? Well, no. He's quick to test them. Recognizing them, the first thing he would do is he would accuse them of being spies. He's putting the fear of God in these guys. Oh, you've come to Egypt, huh? Come to see our grain. Come to see what we've got. I think you're spies. That's what he tells them. No, 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 no. That's not what we came for. Here's the great part. Recognizing them, he would accuse them of being spies to test them and treat them harshly, but their presence in Egypt confirmed the truth of his dreams. Because you remember his dreams? His brothers were going to come and bow before him, and here they were. But it wouldn't fulfill it yet, because not all of his brothers were there, and his father wasn't there. In his second dream, it was all of them. And the sun and the moon. Remember he said that? The sun and the moon that represented his parents. What would he do? Did he just give them grain? No. He put them in jail. Accused them of being spies. Then he said, I'm only going to send one of you back. Then he decides he's going to send all of them back, but he's going to keep Simeon. And do not return because they'd already told him. See, then they opened their big mouth and they told him they had another brother. And he said, don't come back without the other brother. Don't ever come back if you don't bring that brother. Who was that brother? His full brother, Benjamin. Because Jacob didn't send Benjamin. Because Jacob already lost his favorite wife's son, Joseph. And Benjamin was the only one left. And Benjamin was the child born and uh, Rachel died during childbirth. So he wasn't going to send Benjamin because this is parental favoritism, marital favoritism. You ten go. I don't care about you ten. Go get some grain so we don't die. This one stays here. Parental favoritism. Read between the lines, folks. It's a book. So he would send them back to Canaan with what when he sent them back? With their money. Why? He further put the fear of God in them. Because now he left and he had them put the money back in their sacks. So all of a sudden they got back to Canaan and realized on their travels back that not only did they have grain, and not only did they have their brother Simeon, and not only were they not allowed to return unless they had Benjamin, but all their money that they took to buy the grain was in their, was in their sacks. So now they look like thieves. He's really good here. And what goes on, I I wrote it here, he would continue this cat and mouse game further until he finally reveals himself. Now I jumped four or three chapters on you. Because that's what goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Genesis 45, 1 through 8. 
Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, make everyone go out from me now. He was talking about the Egyptians around him. So no one stood with him while, Jason, while Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he, what? he wept aloud. And the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. All the years, 13 plus years. Well, let's do the math here. It's not 13 years. We're going to do the math together. It was 13 years when he became Pharaoh's right-hand man. He was 30. They did this when he was 17. Now there was seven years of good grain in the land. So now he was 37. Now they're two years into the famine. He's now 39. 22 years have passed since they have seen him. And the last thought they had is that he's dead. They sold him off to the Ishmaelites. They don't care what happened to him. Here he is. I am Joseph, your brother. You are at my mercy. But I love what Joseph says. He doesn't say, you're at my mercy. I'm a God before you now. You've come to bow to me. He doesn't say that, does he? You want to know what he says? His brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. He saw the big picture. All the way back to his dreams. He knew he was fulfilling his purpose. He knew he was fulfilling his destiny. He knew he was fulfilling what God had called him to do. Just like when Jesus told Peter, get behind me, Satan. Peter is right-hand man, only guy he called Satan. Remember that? Get behind me, Satan. I got a job to do. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a, a posterity for you in the earth. And so now, and, and to save your lives by a what? A great what? A great deliverance. One greater than Joseph will come and deliver the entire world. But Joseph was the first image of that great deliverance. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now, listen to what he tells him. It was not you who sent me here, but God. Everything bad that happened to me happened to me because God had it happen so that I could be standing here today for this moment. Whatever is happening in your life right now, good or bad, know that God is putting you through it because God has a purpose for it. Chris, that doesn't make sense. I don't know what to tell you. It's here in the book. It's obvious. There's a lot of stories in our Bible, and they all look like this. All of them. 
They all look like this. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And what? And he, capital H, and God has made me a father to Pharaoh, and Lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. That's what happened. So what happens next, Chris? Well, Pharaoh hears word of this and says to Joseph, send for your family. Now, Pharaoh realizes that this 39-year-old Joseph, where he's from, this is his family. And Pharaoh says to him, send for your family, bring them back here, and we're going to put them where? In the best of all the land. Goshen was the place. If you look at a picture of Egypt and you look at the Nile River, where Pharaoh lived and Goshen, that's not right next to each other, which is why you read in Exodus, when they traveled back and forth, there was actual travel back and forth between where Pharaoh was and where the uh, Israelites were. When it talks about during the plagues and they said, go down to the land of Goshen and see what's going on there and see if the plague is happening there. And the messengers went and came back and said, it's not happening. Why did they have to go? Because it's not in the same place. It's a distance. So Pharaoh tells him, go, bring your family back, and we'll put them in the best of the land. And Joseph would send his brothers back to the land to tell Jacob that he was alive and bring him there. So Genesis 45, 25 through 28, then they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob their father, and they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive. What great news. We know we brought you that bloody robe and told you that he was dead, but we've got other news. We're liars. We deceived you. Yes, we've known this for the last 20-some years. And while we've watched you be hurt and broken, and we knew the truth, we never wanted to tell you, because the truth hurts, Dad. Read between the lines in these stories. What do you think his response was? What do you think Jacob's response was? What would your response be? That's all you got to ask yourself. How would I respond to this? So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan, Jacob their father, and they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still. Because what? He did not believe them. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to him, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. So for 20 years, his spirit was dead because of the loss of his son, his favorite son, his son that he sent to get the report on the other sons, dead. His spirit was dead. Then Israel said, because remember his name is no longer Jacob, it was now Israel. Then Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So what does Jacob do? Jacob goes, he makes a sacrifice to God who meets him there and commands him to go to Egypt. Because Jacob doesn't know what to do. And God tells him, gives him the sign, go to Egypt. Promising him what? What did God promise him? That he would bring him back up out of that land and put him back in the land of promise, because the land of Canaan was the land of promise. Okay? It's okay, Jacob. I know that 
from your grandfather, I've promised that this was going to be your place, and you've been dwelling there your life, but now it's time for you to pick up everything, everybody, all your stuff, and I want you to go to Egypt and trust me that I'm going to bring you back out of that land. But what I'm not going to tell you is that after Joseph dies and after everybody dies, that for 400 years they're going to treat you guys pretty harshly, and I'm going to have to deliver you out of there with a second image of a coming Savior, and his name will be Moses. He didn't tell everybody that part of the story. Jacob might not have went. Hey, all your children, grandchildren, all of them, they're going to make straw, they're going to make wheat, they're going to get whipped, beaten, killed, thrown into walls, whatever, and they're going to be treated harshly for about 300 plus years, close to 400, and, uh, and then I'm going to bring you guys back out. Jacob might have said, hmm, you sure about that, God? I think I'm going to act against that one. We know Abraham. Oh, you gave me a promise. You're going to give me a child? Okay, well, I'm going to do it my way. So what did Jacob do? Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones, and their wives in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and went to Egypt. Jacob and all his descendants with him. His sons, his daughters, his sons' sons, his daughters, and his sons' daughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. Joseph would now stand as a voice of reason between the Pharaoh and his people. Oh, did somebody else do that for you? We call that intercessory. Intercession at its best, I wrote it here in my notes. Why does Joseph do this? Because Genesis 46, 33, so it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth, our youth even till now, both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of where? Goshen, the good land. For every shepherd is what? An abomination to the Egyptians. That is why they were in the land of Goshen and separated from the Egyptians. And there was Joseph, like that cross between sin and you. That connection. They're not going to like you because of this, but I'm me, and I'm going to stand in intercessory for you. And I'm going to connect this here. And Pharaoh and his people are going to accept you, even though you're an abomination to them. Your sin is an abomination to God. God detests your sin. And you can't get rid of it. Not on your own. But with Jesus, you're made white as what? Snow. White as snow. Amen. And what does the psalm say? Your sin will never be counted against you. You'll be standing there in the courtroom, and the devil will be sitting there going, on November 20th, his pastor was up there talking, and he had this crazy thought in his head. Oh, no, no. And then Jesus is going to stand up and go, uh, objection, Your Honor. I paid for that sin, too. When he drove home, he cut that guy off. He was trying to get to sizzle real fast because the pastor went over on his time. <laughs> the guy complained, and then he gave him the finger. Right after leaving your church, God, and Jesus is going to stand up and say, Objection, Your Honor. I paid for that sin, too. 
And every piece of evidence laid out, laid out before you that the enemy wants to throw at you, Jesus is going to push it all aside and intercede for you. That's what Joseph did for his people with Pharaoh and the Egyptians. The famine would become so bad later. Now they're living in the land. The famine would become so bad that as time went on, that all of the Egyptians and the Israelites sold their livestock, their grain, their fields, and their property to Pharaoh to survive. Genesis 47, then Joseph said to the people, Indeed, I have brought you and your, you and your land this day. I have bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here is seed for you. How does he have seed? Because he's been storing seed through the seven years of good. Look, here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land, and it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give what? One-fifth to Pharaoh. One-fifth to Pharaoh. Four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and for your food, for those of your households and as food for your little ones. So they said, you have saved our lives. And when you look at Jesus, he has saved your life. He has saved your soul. This is what Joseph did for his people. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. Jesus will save your life and save you from your sin. And the immediate response of the heart is, let me find favor in the sight of God, and I'll be his servant. That is the heart's response to your salvation. And Joseph made it over a law of land of the Egypt to this day, and Pharaoh should have one-fifth except for the land of the priests only, which did not become Pharaoh's. Now, what happens after this? Jacob makes a long speech to his children. We're just, we're just jamming through chapters here. Joseph makes a long speech to his children. What does he do? He blesses them. Mm, he exalts them. And with some, he rebukes them. He rebukes them. Remember Simeon and Levi? The slaughter over Dina, rebuke. Reuben, what did Reuben do? Yep, slept with his concubine, which was one of his wives. So his oldest son slept with one of his wives. What did he do to Reuben during this time? He rebuked him. So he gives this long speech to bless, exalt, and rebuke his children. Moving past that, Genesis 49, then he charged them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave. This is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave, in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite as a possession for a burial place. Do you remember when he bought that land? Remember, we're going way back, Chris, like before June, somewhere around June. I told you he bought that land because they were going to give it to him. And he said, no, I'm going to buy the land so that I have a deed to the land so that I can put my stake in this land because this is the land that God promised me and it's not going to be given to me that way. Remember that. Okay. This is the land he's talking about. So it says there they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field in the cave that is there were purchased, were purchased from the sons of Heth. You remember that story? We did that one. 
And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last breath and was gathered to his people. Now, Genesis 50, 15 through 21 and 24 through 26, we'll finish this and I will send you on your way. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they started future tripping, just like you do. Just like you do. Boy, you know, if God hasn't just laid out every area of my life, I was born, I ended up with, living with my grandparents, they took me to church, I found Jesus, I had some struggles, I watched God put purpose in my life, I ended up here, I ended up there, I ended up teaching this ministry, I watched God show up more in my life, then all this happened, and then that happened, and then this happened, and then all of a sudden something changes, and you're like, God's going to abandon me. It's all over. Oh, no. This is exactly what they did. What did Joseph already tell them? Don't be grieved and do not be angry with yourselves. God sent me here before you. What you did is not of your own doing. God sent me here to save us. Great. Go back and tell my dad I'm alive. Dad, Joseph's alive. He's going to save us. He wants us to move to Egypt. Let's go. And they move to Egypt. And they're there. And they're living in the land. And they're prospering. And they got grain. And they got their own fields. And they got everything. And dad dies. And they're like, Joseph is going to turn on us. That's what we do. Human nature. You're no different. I'm no different. I do battle this stuff in my mind because I have to remind myself of these promises. I have to remind myself of God's purpose in my life. And I have to remind myself I'm right where God wants me to be because nothing happens in this world by accident. Nothing happens without his destiny. And nothing happens to me without his purpose. And nothing happens without his decree. Nothing. So, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us. And may actually repay us all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph to lie. Yes, that's what they did. It doesn't say that here, but let's read the story. And you can put the pieces together yourself. So, they're talking in a huddle. Hey, Joseph's going to turn around and repay his evil for us. We're going to send messengers and tell him that dad said to love on us. But did he? So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded, saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. Let's bring God into it. Bring God into our forgiveness. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Because Joseph was full of grace and mercy, just like Jesus. But did Jacob tell this to those brothers? I don't think so. I don't think so. They made this up. And they sent messengers to Joseph to say it. Why? Because they were afraid. And we are afraid because we are hurting and broken within. And that's okay. I like hurting and broken people 
because I'm hurting and broken. And I don't like it when we walk in and you walk in and you walk on water. And you float across the water and the water rolls out before you and you walk all the way over and you sit in the seat right there and judge everything I say. I don't like that. I like hurting broken people like me who come stumbling in the door every Sunday and when you leave here, you're going to cut somebody off on the way home or they're going to cut you off and your immediate response is not going to be appropriate. I love you too. You are my people. Not the floaters. <laughs> Behold, we are your servants. Uh, it says, then, brother, then, then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Boy, doesn't Joseph sound like an angel of the Lord here? Are you ready? Do not be afraid. That is one of the most constant commands in the Old Testament. Do not be afraid. If that is not the Spirit of God speaking through Joseph, I don't know what is. Because you're going to hear that repeated in Scripture over and over and over and over. Do not be afraid. For am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. Now therefore... When there's a therefore, there's a what for. What is the what for? Do not be afraid. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. God will provide for you. God will meet you where you're at if you let him. But you have to be vulnerable. You have to be willing to let him. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them, and he spoke harshly to them. Oh, it doesn't say that. He spoke kindly to them. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying. But God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to who? Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel. So instead of you being afraid that I'm going to do something bad to you, here's what I want you to do for me. This is what he said. Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. Do not leave me here. You sent me here, but do not leave me here. This is not where I was meant to stay. He's just there for a moment. Where does he want to go? God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old and they embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. In Exodus, when the people leave, they take Joseph's bones. You know that, right? Yeah. The children fulfill that promise. 400 years later, they're going to fulfill that promise. Joseph saved his people. God appointed Joseph to save his people. God appointed Joseph to be the savior of Israel. God appointed Jesus to be the savior of the world. 
You see the connection now? Joseph was your first image of the coming Savior. For good reason. What good reason, Chris? The world hated him just like they hated Jesus. His brothers hated him. His brothers meant him harm. And the world meant harm to Jesus. The world rejected Joseph. The world rejected Jesus. Joseph would be falsely accused and put in prison. Jesus would be falsely accused and put on a cross. Joseph was the first image of a savior. Because after they did all that, you know what, Jesus, you know what Joseph did? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. You see that? Joseph was never harsh to them. He put them through some stuff to play his cat and mouse game, but he meant them no harm. He just wanted to get their attention. Get your blood pumping a little bit. I have a bad habit of that too. So let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this church family, Lord. I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you for the fact that we're coming into the rest of this year, Lord, that we can be thankful that you give us these stories and you lay these stories out before us, Lord, to point back to you, Lord. Everything in this Old Testament points to you, Lord. Everything in this Old Testament points to what you did on the cross. We are thankful and grateful for that, Lord. Lord, remind us this week when we're giving thanksgiving, Lord, that we give thanks for you and what you've done for us, Lord. Lord, I thank you. Anybody that's going to be traveling this week, I pray traveling mercies, Lord. I pray that you bring us all together, Lord, that we can just be grateful and thankful, Lord, and prepare us as we come into the season to focus on your coming into the world 2,000 years ago, Lord. I thank you in advance for our church. I thank you in advance for our time. I thank you in advance for this week. In Jesus' name, amen.